0: Diversity is to improve how much money we make, not to sort of reduce the amount of money you make to reduce the opportunity that you have. It's about us ultimately being a better business because we have a variety of voices. And while some people may think we've over-indexed on the discussion, we're just trying to kind of carve back some of the opportunity when there's a moment in time where it actually could benefit our business by actually accessing more capital. So I think people are, doing and focusing on diversity for the right reasons, one, more voices. Also, it impacts our ability to access capital. And I think those two combined benefit everybody. We just gotta get the right people on the bus and believing and not feeling excluded.
1: After the events of the summer of 2020, we at BizNow made a commitment to examine the racial and gender diversity, or lack thereof, at the top levels of commercial real estate. Nowhere else had definite, thorough data on the industry which we felt was needed as many of the biggest companies made pledges to diversify their ranks. This is our third year conducting this analysis and the first time that we dug further to see what titles people of colour and women hold at the top levels of these companies to understand not just how many diverse voices are represented, but also how much influence they have. This is BizNow Reports. I'm Miriam Hall, and on this episode... We're taking time to take stock of the numbers with industry players who are invested and committed to a broader range of talent being part of the industry. In a moment, we'll be joined by Colette English-Dixon, the Executive Director of the Marshall Bennett Institute of Real Estate at Roosevelt University in Chicago, and a member of Marcus and Miller Board of Directors. She says she's stunned by the numbers this year and how minor the change has been.
2: I was just hoping... It was going to look better than it had, given all of the effort that has been at least represented to be poured into this um, since especially 2020. More
1: from Colette in a moment. First, though, I have with me Cedric Bobo, who runs Project Destined, a social impact platform that provides real estate training to young people from diverse backgrounds, and Mark Rose, the CEO of the global brokerage firm Avison Young. Let's begin with the numbers we published last week. People of colour make up 11.6% of the C-suites and the executive teams at the 89 real estate giants we tracked, which includes brokerages, lenders and asset managers, REITs and private developers. That's actually up from 10.9% last year. Board representation is at 18.2%, up from 16% last year. Women make up 25.3% of executive teams, an increase from 23.5% last year. Women represent 28% of board seats, though it must be noted boards are getting smaller. Cedric, let me come to you first. When we spoke back in 2020 about the industry response to racial justice protests, you said measuring metrics and reporting on them was important because shame can cause us to act. When you hear those numbers or you see those numbers, do you think there has been action?
0: I think that we would be flawed to think that in two years' time, since these statements were made, that we're going to have change at the C-suite level. I've just never seen it work that way. I think that the more realistic outcome is that we're going to see first the junior ranks and then the mid-level ranks begin to become more diverse. Because if you haven't invested in developing that talent, over the course of the last 10 years, how could that seep into the C-suite? So I think we've got to not be so reactionary that we haven't made any progress and measure it throughout. And so I just, when I hear the CEOs haven't changed, I mean, am I surprised by that. Look, I can't, I don't know how to find, to use a basketball analogy. I can't go out and find Giannis Antetokounmpo just because I hear there's some black guys in Greece that are good at basketball. I can't go and find all-stars within two years. I've got to go and plant seeds early. So what I worry about, is that with, you know, the the slowdown in the economy that we stop investing in early talent, because if you don't invest in early talent now, you can't get them to the C-suite in ten to fifteen years. Which is, I think the length of time we have to measure this.
1: I want to come to you, Mark. Let's talk specifically about Avison. Um, added two people of color and three women to the executive committee, and one person of color to the board in twenty twenty two. You, I know you don't believe in hiring quotas. And, and in fact, you said that they're a pathway to disaster, I think, is even uh, the word you've used. Tell me a little bit of the story of these recent appointments that you've made this year.
3: Sure. Well, you know, again, first things first, thank you for having me on. This is a very, very important topic. And, you know, just loving on with Cedric here. Um it's all about behavior. It's always been about behavior. It's always been about being deliberate and I think that Cedric has pointed out a few things that have to be repeated you have to make change the results might be incremental I think we're doing quite well setting the foundations for change I think that for us you know again one of our great success stories we changed our leader of the U.S. business only a year ago we hired an executive search firm and made sure that the search firm was diverse right and then asked bring us your best reach into all of the places that quite frankly this industry has had you know some blinders on to look to and then come back to us with the top candidates and in this particular case the final six candidates and they were awesome because they were awesome were all diverse right and they were black they were hispanic they were women and with not being deliberate to say only come back to us with specific candidates yet we were deliberate in terms of what we were going to look for and what we charged them to do and so we hired Juan Bueno from Colombia who leads our connection, you know, resource group, as well as running, you know, as well as running the entire business. And what he has done in his first year, he's had six openings for managing directors. He filled five of the six with women when he went out to look at the possible candidates. Now, in this particular case, One was ethnically diverse as well. Um, But again, he didn't say, I only want diverse candidates. Yet, if you look in the right places for the best talent, it wasn't that hard to find that five of the six happened to have been women. Then we instituted another senior role. This one in Miami, woman. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not saying this is easy. It's not. <laughs> it, it's not. And as Cedric has, you know, has said your results, which you always have to measure results, and we have to hold people accountable to results, but you incrementally build your programs of recruiting, then you have to spend a ton of time. And we now have... Our employee resource groups, again, it's not just race, it's not just gender, it's lifestyle, it's people dealing with mental wellness issues, you know, there's disabilities. There's a a, a whole gamut of we need to include everyone's voice. But you actually have to start by looking for it. And then you have to develop it, not train it, you have to develop it. We have 750 of our young people in mentor programs and then you have to make sure that everyone is being treated fairly so we are adopting that we're going to be looking across compensation based on quality of individual and making sure that there is fair pay for everyone
0: just to add on to my point just because you invite folks to a dinner party it doesn't mean they're going to show up you also got to celebrate the industry i think a lot of diverse folks just don't know that it is an industry where you can have you know build great wealth and have you know great impact the metrics drive the behavior the behavior just like a development just because you want a big tall building in the center of Manhattan doesn't mean it happens overnight you've got to sort of plant the seeds and so you can't tell me that still training 100 students doesn't do two things one 100 students and all their friends hear about still, that's huge effect right The second thing is that eastill is going to hire some of those folks which they have done but all those employees at eastill that met those diverse professionals they're going to think differently about hiring because they're going to know there is this big pool to hire from and i think that's what the metrics are doing
3: yeah you know with with that said not to get too provocative great companies you know Eastill, great company roy everybody doing great job and i love that they're doing it i I would suggest one thing because we've seen it firsthand and this again was one which was he had Latinx people coming to him in the business saying I never thought I'd see someone Mm. like me in the senior ranks Mm. so it's not a fatal flaw but it's a missed opportunity that not just at the ground level recruiting but people want to see that they can move up and that they can be in those roles as well.
1: It's a bit of a challenge, isn't it? Because you're talking about building diverse talent and training people from the ground up. But it's true, as you're saying, like if you're not seeing these people in the top roles, how do you know that you're ever going to get there? But at the same time, like, do we want to tear down every company that doesn't hasn't immediately made a change in its C-suite? It's a bit of a delicate line.
0: And look, Miriam, one thing I will say is that, I'm a brown dude, I worked in corporate private equity, which I think is more challenging from a diverse perspective uh, than real estate will ever be because it's just the small sizes of the firms. But look, I didn't have a bunch of you know, brown folks who were MDs for me to look to, but I had a ton of white men who were allies, I had a ton of white women who were allies. And so the thing I don't want the real estate industry to do is think that by shuffling brown people around the different firms, that we are making a dent in the ranks of diversity. Like it does just because you get someone to leave CBRE and come to you know Newmark that like that's, that's the numbers haven't changed in terms of the senior ranks they just moved around and if you focus on that as being the driver you're not building the pipeline of talent for the future and to get those numbers to move you've got to build a bigger pipeline of young diverse mid-level talent that are choosing real estate and so you've got to achieve both and I just don't want all these D&I committees to give up on their progress because they haven't found you know a black vice president in their Orlando office. Because here's the thing, it's a relationship driven business. So where are you getting that person right? Are they coming from investment banking? So now they got to learn a new industry and they got to do relationships and relationships are hugely impactful. So we just got to we just got to make sure that we're not shuffling people around, but we're building the volume of talent that are ready to take on these responsibilities.
1: Do you, um, are you aligned with Mark on hiring quotas, Cedric? Do you think that hiring quotas are, are the way to go? Cause we do know some firms think, think that it is.
0: Mm. Look, I, I think, um, I think, I think metrics serve the same. I think metrics and communicating them do the same thing because like, look, if you, if you put the quote out there, you know, but you never disclose us if you're hidden or not, like, what does that, what does that actually do? I mean, I think putting the metric out there reporting on the metric and then showing the actions Most CEOs don't like missing metrics they put out there as goals. So I just think if you do that, it serves the same goal. And I think the biggest risk to all of this movement is if you see, if you're internal to a firm, just like it's empowering to see one arrive and to know you can do it. You know what's disempowering is that when you see all these initiatives go to crap, when when the slowdown happens. Like to me, that does more detriment than anything else to where when you're, you know, you're internship program your full-time programs you just lose people and now the focus on dni just goes away and every round person that always thought you were just going to do it during the bull market sees that you relax you stop measuring you stop reporting um you know because you got to focus on what's going on in your business it has to be part of the business it can't be separate and apart from it
1: Mark what do you think of that considering we are talking so much about a tougher economic climate and you are running a, a business of considerable <laughs> uh, measure uh, how do you keep the focus on this when there is uh you know we're talking recession we're talking people losing jobs
3: you know it, it, you know there are it is a you know, it's a very tough environment out there and again I'll come back to it, it what is your belief what is your culture um, I actually think in this particular case, it works hand in hand that, you know, you take a look at our company and we've been transforming the company over the last few years and we've been making an awful lot of, you know, change. And believe me, there are times where, I, I, you know, I, I have to think twice because we're not sending a message that the white males bad anymore, right? You know, there's some great people out there. There's some foundational people that built this company. But if you're already transforming a company and, again, our our peers and we're looking at, you know, the things that we have to do, you know, with cost as well, if you're, again, if, you know, if you're just deliberate of who is the future of the business, the future of the business looks looks a little different. I, I actually think it's an opportunity and can clearly understand where it could be a problem for our industry. Absolutely can understand that. But the way that we look at it, I I, I just see it more as an opportunity because we're kind of transforming who and how and what we should look like in terms of the skill set and the voices that make up our collective intelligence.
1: This year, we have gone a step further and we've examined the types of roles that people of color and women are most represented in. So, more than half the female executives in the C suite are in support and personnel roles, legal positions, human resources, marketing and administration. Only six of the 89 companies that we tracked have women serving as CEOs and two of those were added last year. Similarly, when you look at people of colour, they have a greater proportional representation in financial and senior leadership roles, like chief operating officer or head of the business line. And 40% serve in uh, support and personnel roles. Only four CEOs identify as racially or ethnically diverse. So, Cedric, let me come to you. These are really important roles, but there is a pattern here. Is it worth considering where women are serving, where people of color are serving in positions once they yeah. are in those top ranks?
0: Yeah, I mean look, you have to have folks everywhere. I think the reason why you see some of that is that if you're trying to hire from outside the industry to bring in diversity and you're doing so you're doing lateral hires, those support roles are easier to fill on a lateral basis. That is my suspicion. What's more challenging if you have sales-driven roles and you don't come from the industry, it's tough to hire senior people in sales-driven roles if they come from outside of it. And so now you've got, okay, they're diverse coming into a culture that hasn't historically been diverse. And then two, they got to learn the business and the business may be officially or unofficially kind of commission-driven. And so that's a tough place to bring in a diverse professional to be able to be successful. And so I just think that, that's just why I focus on you got to bring them in younger and then train them in your business and you got to do it at scale. So those numbers don't surprise me. They they suggest we are a work in progress, which is what we are.
1: Mark, what do you think? Is Avison uh, giving consideration to where women and people of, of, of color are serving once they're in the C-suite?
3: Yeah. So, you know, again, we're not going to take the victory lap, but, you know, we added a professional services business that is now a huge part of our business run by a woman. Then that business headed up and went out to seek its leader in Canada uh, for project management. African American woman. Um, y- you can make change by bringing in top talent. I, you know. You know. I've said it a few times on this, you know, podcast here. Um, you can bring in folks laterally. That is just one element of an, over, you know, of an overall strategy. So what we're doing, because Cedric's right, for sales organizations, this is very difficult. I, don't, I do not see our competition doing this. What is this? We have now changed how we compensate our entry-level salespeople. They're not commissioned. You know, they're not just commissioned. They are commissioned and they both now receive adequate compensation for the first couple of years that's guaranteed and mandatory training and training for the development of our next leaders. And those things go hand in hand because, again, it's hard enough, if it's a represented group, for an underrepresented group to come into a sales business that's pure commission, It's you know which is too much you know, in the way that you can train this top talent that's coming in from everywhere, everybody needs, you know, you know, in this case, support and process and procedure that says, worry about learning. We'll take care of the other side.
1: Do you think there is a concern, though, that people are going into roles that don't necessarily lead to the CEO one day?
3: I think everybody should, well, first of all, I've lived my life this way, and I would certainly want to see it for the company. Everyone who comes into an organization should be setting their sights on the top job. And one of the things that we do, and I do this at our annual meeting, if not every year, probably eight out of 10 years, is to remind people that in the real estate industry, people wearing suits who are selling large buildings for large commissions, are seen by our clients less frequently than property management engineers who carry our brand every single day and i know that engineers property management it's a great business it's something that you should be proud of the fees are you know are less and the salaries in general are you know are less but I'm pretty sure everybody wants to go home and still wants to take care of their families and take care of themselves. And so we wanna remind everybody that every role is important and everybody should be put in a position and trained and given the tools and access to ultimately move up to any senior leadership role. But as I said earlier, populating the senior roles with people that look like people, it's so inspirational and and aspirational for folks. And we see it being a very important part that it's not just words, that it's actions and you can see it and it's tangible.
1: Let's talk about some of the the, the approaches that they've been. Cedric, you mentioned hiring laterally. Mm-hmm. So from what I'm hearing, you don't you don't necessarily think that's the best approach.
0: I think for sales driven roles, like, look, you take me a black guy in corporate private equity and you give me a big potential salary to come into real estate and I've got to go and sell buildings and it's commission driven. Like, why would I ever do that? Right. I mean, it's just like it's just it, it's uh, it's not nonsensical, it's just unrealistic. And so if you measure it around getting black folks from investment banking and corporate private equity and accounting to come in, because those areas may have, you know, talent that's similar. If you try and bring them in and it's largely commission driven officially or unofficially, uh, I think it's just less likely I'm going to take that risk in a strong job market. Now that we're in a softer job market. I think real estate has a huge opportunity, but they have to make an investment where when investment banks and accounting firms may be reducing some of their ranks, now I think you could go out and potentially get some of that talent. I just think that you know people who are in mid-level to senior positions and they're thinking about trying to become a CEO or trying to build wealth, I think it's less likely they're going to transition into a role that's sales-driven. And so many of the roles that we're talking about here, they have sales components to them. And I think that's very tough from a lateral perspective.
1: What do you think about that, Mark? I mean, would that come into play at all when you, you are sending your hiring committee out, when you're sending your, your executive search firm out?
3: Um, yeah, I, I, I guess the fundamentals of what Secretary said is absolutely right. It's, again, it's about your desire to, to again, to transform. We are looking for top talent at, at every single level. And again, I don't see. By the way, I I I see Cedric's exact example happening, and we're looking for it. By the way, (laughs) that the transformation may not include traditional real estate individuals. Again, and you know, let's not put labels on it. Whether it's management or consultative businesses or brokerage businesses, Mm -hmm. we're looking at top talent from around the world to come in and, you know, whether it's one or any of the others that we've brought in, you know, we brought people in who who weren't in our industry and specifically looking because that's one more thing that is important to us that we see the voice of the client is very clear that our data strategies, our data scientists and our developers are focused on the Vitality Index and Avant and everything that we're doing for uh, analytics and predictive analytics, it's a different set of individuals that you need to bring in to sell that and then to write about it and then to implement it. And I think that there's a, a shift in the balance of what is it that real estate is, and especially for real estate service providers, what to be what do we provide? And I just think that there's an opportunity. And this is why I'm, 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 you know, I'm sort of really in on what we're going for, but not necessarily agreeing with how we're getting there. We are, are engaging in this transform this transformation. And, you know, we're looking at a ton of Wall Street folks, and they're very excited to come into a real estate industry, you know, you know, into a real estate company right now. Yeah, um,
0: I mean, that, now. I mean, like to me now is our industry's opportunity. Other industries have incredible talent that love the excitement of real estate, but fear the risk around change and compensation and a, up and like when the market's going amazing. When the market is softening, they get nervous. They begin to hear about potential layoffs in their business and they begin to get curious. And if Mark lays out a playbook whereby, hey, You can come in, and for two years, we're going to invest in you. You're going to have some guaranteed compensation. We're going to train you. And here is where your skills are in areas to develop. And we got a development plan for you. Let's go. Like, that's to me the opportunity that real estate has now. And so, like, at Project Destin, you know, we're going to try and train 4,000 kids next year because they're going to be thinking less about investment banking, less about corporate private equity because those folks are going to slow down their hiring. And we're going to try and jump in. When the opportunity to share what real estate is, and so to me, it's very exciting the next year because we can really showcase real estate.
1: But how does that fit into your concern earlier that you mentioned that you know they might be put into positions and they don't have the the relationships or the 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 types of skills that they might have needed?
0: Yeah. So what I was describing was like over the last couple years, I thought it was unrealistic. Like I thought the whole idea of like getting people to transition when the market is on fire and everyone's getting bonus after going. To, yeah. So like, why would you ever do it? And so to me, those senior numbers were very tough to change when the market was just, the job market was incredible. Now is the opportunity, but the question will be whether firms are willing to invest at this time when their business may be softening and they've got to put down some fixed or some guarantees to that talent to give them runway to be successful. So to me, it's all about like, Is it a commission-only role when I get started or is there some guaranteed kind of runway to let me develop? And, like, that's what I describe as the opportunity ahead of us.
1: Mark, I have a final question for you because I know you've got to go soon. You know, the company at Avison has been so deliberate in its advancement of women and people of colour. How has this gone over with white men?
3: (sighs) Well, we do here. Um, I wish people would be more transparent. I will tell you that comments that we have made have have led to some white men leaving our company. And it's not just and it's just not the advancement of women, people of color. It's lifestyle. It's what we said we wanted to take a health approach to make sure that anyone who needs care, particularly women about, you know, around know reproductive rights that was you know the blowback was fierce really fierce and Mm. that's okay because all we're trying to say is from our point of view we just want people included and healthy right and if our culture is included and healthy and yes have we have have we lost people to that for sure for sure but it doesn't undermine. And again, I think if people take a step back, you'll understand that what we're trying to do is basic decency, opportunity. I think you're better when all voices are heard. I think you're better when you're represented. And yes, ultimately, I think that our, our clients care about these things. Kind of tell that, you know, the BlackRock right now with what they're dealing with ESG and this, you know, in the Southern states right now, right? The, you know, the blowback on them for doing something that makes a whole lot of sense. You just have to keep, listen, if a belief system is a belief system, then you stick with it. And if the belief system, once you start to give into, well, this is our beliefs, but in this case, just doesn't work. You have to be who you are.
1: Hmm. Cedric, I mean, you would, what, what do you think about that when you're hearing about things hmm. like white men having to leave a firm because hmm. you know, it doesn't suit them, look. blow back against yeah. reproductive rights?
0: <laughs> look, you know, I, I, I like to start with some of my best friends are white men. Uh, and, I, and there are a whole lot of incredible ones, and just like there are in any culture. Um, look, I think you got to make it easy for people to do the right thing. Um, and our program has always been about inclusion, including white men and white women versus exclusion. Like they are, no one wakes up in the morning and sees themselves as the problem. And if you define them as the problem, they're going to want to exit. And so our whole focus is like, it's gotta be an inclusive approach. Like, look, if we want to, diversity is to improve how much money we make, not to sort of reduce the amount of money you make to reduce the opportunity that you have. It's about us ultimately being a better business because we have a variety of voices. And while some people may think we've over-indexed on the discussion, we're just trying to kind of carve back some of the opportunity when there's a moment in time where it actually could benefit our business by actually accessing more capital. Um, So I think people are doing and focusing on diversity for the right reasons. One, more voices. Also, it impacts our ability to access capital. And I think those two combined benefit everybody. We just got to get the right people on the bus and believing and not feeling excluded.
3: Yeah. And just to follow up on that, the white male is not an endangered species. you look and go back at, at, you know, with the numbers and the change is, is, is incremental. Like I said, I've never been this hopeful. I've never been this optimistic. And now let's, let's actually execute.
0: And there, I think that part of why we're hopeful is because we're going to do the work.
1: Since 2020, we at BizNow have been tracking racial and gender diversity at the top end of the industry. You can read this year's analysis and the analysis from the two years prior online. I've also written about the evolution of the chief diversity officer role as part of the series, and my colleague, John Bannister, looked into diversity in middle management. I'm leaving links in the show notes. Mark and Cedric were speaking there about that weariness, that blowback even, to the discussion of diversity and the need to cut through the noise. That's something Colette English-Dixon, who's the executive director of the Marshall Bennett Institute of Real Estate at Roosevelt University in Chicago, talks about too.
2: There's often been, and America has a very long history, of the perspective of the pie is only so big. And so if you're going to give something to somebody else, you're obviously taking something from me. And... That blowback, that thought about you're taking something from me um, has been a, a support for a lot of people's reactions to a lot of things over the years in this country. And I don't see this as any different.
1: First, so she's speaking here about our analysis and what the numbers show about people of colour and women in the industry.
2: I think there are probably a few reasons why these numbers haven't moved as dramatically as we might have liked. Uh, But I do think that the efforts are, for the most part, sincere. I think that there has been an acceptance, a recognition of the value of having diversity in the room. Uh, But somehow just kind of getting it from desire, effort, to manifestation and sticking it. So that's the other part of it, you know, we have no idea in the middle of this if there has been, you know, a huge, a larger increase that then was mitigated by people leaving. Uh, there's, there's that piece, right? Because you kind of take these surveys at points in time. So I wish it had been a bit better uh, than it is. I, I do think that there's still a lot of work to be done. How's your first
1: year on the board been going? Have you found that diversity, um, the advancement of women, the advancement of people of color is on the agenda?
2: Sometimes if I bring it up. (laughs) You know, the broker's business is one of those parts of the industry that has shown um, some of the most significant challenges in diversity, especially around women and people of color. And when there is an opportunity to talk about it, I'm, probably often the one that brings it up, Um, but that's okay. Um, The board is a great collection of a lot of industry talent and a lot of business knowledge. And combined with that view of people from all different elements, it gives us a chance to talk about this. but not, it's not like the top of the agenda on every day. It's just not every top of every board meeting agenda. But when there's an opportunity to talk about talent, when there's an opportunity to talk about hiring challenges or opportunities for you know, additional talent to come in to you know, address you know, various needs of the firm, you know, it is important to bring up the effort to identify diverse talent candidates uh, for those roles and also to see how we're doing with retaining the diverse talent that we already have in the firm. Um, That's as much a, a part of the conversation as just, you know, how many people went out the back door when you brought in so many people in the front door. So you have to have both sides of it. And I try my best to make sure that we don't lose focus on that.
1: You're obviously a professor of real estate. So you're working with the next generation. What kinds of experiences are you hearing from younger people that you work with?
2: Well, I want to clarify that I don't technically call myself a professor. Um, the one thing I don't do is really teach um, in the classroom. But I do advise all of our students. Um, they're their academic advisor. I'm helping them with decisions around their careers, uh, jobs to take, places, you know, firms to work with or whatever. And there is a frustration amongst especially uh, graduate students who are a bit more sensitive to some of these things around you know, the opportunity or the challenges in finding these opportunities or finding places where they feel like they belong. You know, there are still a lot of firms that even with these efforts don't have a significant pool of diverse, young diverse talent. And when you walk into a company and you're one of two, you know, or one of one, Um, In a particular role, especially in smaller firms, it can be very uncomfortable. And it's trying to understand the corporate mindset, the company value of this diverse talent. Having an inclusive environment is really important. And I try to help them find those places where they will feel welcomed, even if they are in a very small group um, within the firm. There is concern about it. But I think a lot of times when you're starting out your career, you're focused on getting your career launched, not necessarily um, about how inclusive is the environment or you know, where am I going to be in 10 years. I try to get them to think about that. Uh, but you know, first job is first job. And getting that career launched is really important. So I try to help them find places where I think they'll feel welcomed, where they will find the sort of support that they'll need to be successful and to learn what they need to learn. And um, I'm always here when the call comes in of like, okay, so I think I gotta move. I think I gotta make a change and try to understand what that's about. And often it's not about environment and often it's not about, you know, feeling left out. It's often just about needing to, you know, move somewhere where they can learn something else.
1: What do you, this is a little bit of like a quandary. So if you had a student come to you and say, I've got this offer for this job, I don't know if it's an inclusive environment I don't I can't be sure Um, do I wait and keep looking get something that that I feel certain I mean it is a really difficult balance or do I get working right now start getting the runs on the board
2: well if they have that as a concern I think that's legitimate Um, if the concern is this seems like a really great offer but I'm not really sure about this culture because here's the thing if the culture is not inclusive their ability to grow and to really successfully launch their career is at risk too. Um, that, those two do go very much hand in hand because you're not in a position to like, you know, charge through the gates by yourself. So you need a place that's going to give you the sort of support and give you the sort of development that you need to become a good professional. So if you don't think it can be inclusive, then I'm like, hmm, if you have that as a concern, then my recommendation is to continue to look for somewhere where you believe you will feel more comfortable because the outcomes will be better.
1: How do you assess the culture of a company that you don't work at? Maybe you're being told all the right things, but what sorts of things are you telling these young people to look for and to think for, to assess, or to, to sort of check for when they're looking for a place where they believe they're going to be able to grow?
2: Well, I think there are some firms in this industry that are known as being more inclusive than others. Um, I think there are firms that are known to be a little less inclusive and comfortable than others for diverse talent. So while there is a huge range of corporate sizes in this industry, those things kind of get out there. It's not usually a big secret. But if in fact we find, we find a firm where we just don't really have any insight to. There are ways to get you know, some perspective. I, ask, I suggest that they do a search on LinkedIn for people who work in the firm or have worked with the firm. Fortunately, I know a lot of people in this industry by virtue of having been in it for a while, and often I can reach out to colleagues and contacts through the various organizations I'm in, to, to try to gather more information about a firm if I don't know them. I think if you can get a feel for the culture of a company before you join them, you will be better prepared. So if you decide to just jump anyway because, oh my gosh, this is, just a, you know, this is the best opportunity that's come my way and I'm not really sure, and you don't have that you know, intel on how the culture may or may not fit for you, um, You know, I always go, make the best of it. But if you find it doesn't work, leave. There's no reason to stay somewhere that is not supportive of you as a person. There are other jobs in the world.
1: Where do you think the greatest opportunity for improvement is? For example, our numbers show a very low representation of Hispanic people in top roles in the industry, which is very surprising considering how large the Hispanic community is in the United States.
2: Well, a lot of this is access to capital and even knowledge that this is an industry that you can be a p- participant in, right? I mean, the same thing really is true of the black community. While we look at people of color um, and you think about the size of the black population in this country and has, and it's probably longer history of you know, being involved in business um, on different levels in the economy, it's still a woefully small representation. And a lot of the things that have limited black and indigenous people from being in this industry is the same thing that's been limiting the Latino population, the Hispanic population, lack of capital and lack of awareness. And if you don't have those, you go do something else. You go work for some other place. Um, And you also have to think that this is a career that is of interest to you. How do you get in the door if you don't see it you will never do it. And one of the things that I really do like about like the student population that I get to see here at Roosevelt, we have a very strong Hispanic Latino uh, population in our student body. And their awareness of the commercial real estate industry as a career path is about the same as most young black people. And uh, because we haven't shared that with other ethnicities and other racial groups as well, we've got to build that awareness. And I think once we do that job, we will have, there will, there will be gains um, in the Hispanic population presence in the industry also.
1: Earlier in this discussion, we heard from Mark Rose, who's the CEO of Avison Young, and Cedric Bobo, who runs Project Destined. And we touched on pushback and blowback. And Mark said, and I was very surprised by this, that there have been people who've actually left the business because of the company's approach. He actually even mentioned within the company, you know, getting involved in reproductive rights for its employees. He's described the blowback as fierce. Have you come across that kind of reaction, that kind of blowback and
2: pushback? I have not, but I am not surprised. Hmm. Um, I think I'm a little isolated from a little bit of that um, being in academia right now, um, and so I don't see it quite the same, uh, with the same clarity that Mark does, I mean, because that's right in his, you know, that's in his backyard, but I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. I mean, I think we have found, you know, over especially the past six years, um, the partisan mindset around a lot of things, and there is there's often been, and America has a very long history of the perspective of the pie is only so big. And so if you're gonna give something to somebody else, you're obviously taking something from me. And that blowback, that thought about you're taking something from me, um, has been a, a support for a lot of people's reactions to a lot of things over the years in this country. And I don't see this as any different. Um, it's unfortunate because honestly if you make the if you add people into the mix you make the pie bigger and if you make the pie bigger then there's room for everybody to get you know what they deem to be you know their piece of the pie um, this isn't a, this isn't a zero-sum game, but a lot of people do see it that way, and that's really unfortunate. And I I, I really am sorry to hear that that's what Mark has seen. Um, but I have to say, I'm not totally surprised.
1: I mean, it it, it sounds like it's kind of isolated. There are a lot of people who are like, great, let's get on board with these kinds of changes, and they've implemented several programs. But he said that there just really are people who do not want to go on this journey. <laughs> they do not want to go to the next level basically yeah. it's sad it's very sad what do you do you have any other or ideas about how companies who really are genuinely wanting to approach this and make changes and diversify their ranks and make the company better for more people and make more money do you have any advice on how to approach it if there are people who are kind of not getting it
2: wow you know um <laughs> I think about that a lot around a lot of different things, you know. Um, and sometimes you do reach the point of you try to be as um, logical and as balanced in the discussion. You try to understand what their concerns are. Why is this a problem? Why is this something you feel you must push back against? Um, and try to respond to those specific points or try to get them to understand that maybe they're not seeing the full picture and hope that they will change but you can't change people i mean it's, it's like if you want to change people's minds you can try to talk to them you can share with them a different perspective you try to understand what their concerns are but sometimes it just won't happen and the unfortunate thing is they then need to make the decision and i don't think there's any Company, I'm sure Mark at Avis and Young isn't doing this. They, I mean, I'm sure he's not saying, well, if you can't, if you can't deal with this, you've got to leave. No. Hope that you can figure this out. Hope you can see this. But if you're uncomfortable and this doesn't isn't for you, maybe you need to make the decision about where you want to be and let that go. Um, I wish we were able to prevail in some of these conversations in helping those who are so adamantly against these changes. Um, help them to see how there is no loss um, by providing opportunity to others and how there is potential opportunity for them because of that, because of how that outcome of the inclusive growth actually winds up you know, providing everybody with more. But sometimes they don't want to hear it and you just have to move on to the things that you actually can change.
1: Yeah, I mean, even just this morning, I get—I I just published a story this morning about the chief diversity officers, and I get an email from a guy um, saying, "This is why there's diversity fatigue," and sent me a link to an article about the—you know—the discussions around affirmative action at the Supreme Court. I mean, it makes people mad sometimes when we write about this stuff.
2: It does, and I don't envy your, you and your peers in that <laughs> position. Because you put those things out there and you are open to get that, get that blowback. Um, and I'm concerned that the belief that there is diversity fatigue, that talking about this is just wearing people out. And I think the problem is that if we actually did this when we started doing this down this road in the 70s and 80s and actually kept at it, we wouldn't have to keep talking about this, you know, especially from a business perspective. But this is also, I think, for people, it's the social side of the diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's the social side of the social inequities and social injustices that are really wearing some people out because they really don't like that. And then they translate that to the corporate effort and other related um, discussions that are protective of people's rights. And it's like, we protect their rights, we protect your rights. And it's it's not a negative, it's just not a negative situation. You aren't losing anything here. Because every time we have made progress in protecting the rights of those who have not been protected in the past, everyone has benefited from it. Everyone, and it's just amazing to me how so many people don't see that.
1: Let's end on a positive note. What is make, what is making you feel hopeful? I guess what what I mean. Look, looking back over the last year, your board appointment, you know, and lots happens in a year. What what do you think has been the big thing that is giving you kind of a hope? Of a sense of optimism.
2: I'm going to qualify this by saying I think I daily live in a somewhat unique space from a lot of other people. Um, being in academia more so than I am in the business world right now and in an academic environment that is based on the concepts of social equity and social justice and full human rights and all of those things which is very much part of the Foundational values and mission of this university, I can't say. Um, what gives me hope is that I see in the students I engage with, who are the next generation of leaders in this world, be it in business or elsewhere, they get it. At least the students I see, they get it. And they are much more embracing of the whole, not always, not the other, it's the whole. Um, seeing them work together, seeing them you know, work on issues that are for matters beyond themselves, that gives me hope. It gives me hope also from the commercial real estate side that I see more and more young people from underrepresented communities saying, I think I wanna understand this industry better. I think I want to be a part of it and give us a chance to prepare them to step into these roles ready to make a difference and ready to either fix their communities, change their communities, contribute to their communities, make a difference with the tools that this industry can provide them.
1: That's Colette English Dixon. She's the executive director of the Marshall Bennett Institute of Real Estate at Roosevelt University. Before her, Mark Rose, the CEO of Avis & Young, and Cedric Bobo, who runs social impact platform Project Destined. I'm Miriam Hall. Thanks for listening.